This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The very first guest on the very first episode of Target USA was then Director of National Intelligence, Jim Clapper. And he said to us, Russia was an existential threat. Four years later, there's still an existential threat, and he says there are some new twists to the problem. What concerns me is that they will have they have gone to school, I'm sure, on the revelations of what we learned in uh, about what the magnitude of their activities in 2016. I fear that because of those revelations, that the Russians will have back-engineered all those uh, revelations and will try to thwart our uh, detecting what they're doing. So I'm sure they're up. They're up to their usual tricks because they found it successful. I just think it's going to be harder to detect. His sobering assessment coming up on this episode of Target USA, the National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, Russia. They're a big problem. The government of Russia, that is. The Russian people are fine people, fantastic people. The country has a lot of wonderful history and cultural artifacts that we can all learn from, and I wish we could all go there. But the problem we've had, this nation, the U.S., is with the Russian government, not the least of which was their attempts in 2016 to interfere in the 2016 election. Now, the 2020 election is upon us, and one of the key figures in the investigation into what Russia did in 2016, Jim Clapper, who was the director of national intelligence at the time, he says they're hiding something. So we sat down for a virtual talk on this episode of Target USA, and this is how it started off. You may remember back in 2016, maybe it was late 2015, you and I had an interview. That interview was the very first interview that we did for the Target USA podcast, which now has something like 3 million subscribers. But that interview started the whole thing. And in that interview, we talked about a a variety of things. And one of the things that we talked about that day was the fact that you said Russia is still an existential threat to the U.S. We were talking about ISIS and other things. And you said ISIS is not an existential threat to the U.S., but Russia is. You were well ahead of a lot of people and you were still in your position at that time as director of national intelligence who seemed to recognize that Russia was still just as dangerous as it was then. Fast forward to now, we see uh, that there is absolutely no doubt about the danger that Russia poses to us. So I want to get you to let us, let us into your thinking as we approach another election cycle 
and what Russia means to this whole process and the threat that it is. Well, uh, JJ, thanks for having me and and uh, and harking back to that uh, uh, interview. And I, actually, I didn't uh, recall the uh, uh, historical uh, note there about uh, the initiation of, of these podcasts. And when I made that comment in uh, when we had our previous interview, uh, I don't think at the time I fully appreciated the, the full dimension of uh, what is connoted or what is suggested by Russia being an existential threat to us. What I had in mind at the time, of course, was Russia's considerable nuclear capability. And they, uh, you know, between the United States and Russia, that's over 90% of the world's nuclear weapons. So Russia... In that context alone, Russia was then and remains a mortal enemy to the United States. In fact, since then, uh, Russia has embarked on a very aggressive uh, modernization of their strategic nuclear arsenal. And I think it was in 18, perhaps, that uh, Putin made this speech. I think it was March of 18, in which he outlined uh, publicly uh, five weapons uh and when he does those things you know there's only really one adversary in mind and that is of course the united states now what's changed and what actually makes russia an even greater existential threat i would suggest is its aggressive use of information operations uh most notably of course uh, in the interference in our election in 2016, and this is a this is a a weapon, if you will, that Russia has used against us, and with great success, and they will continue to do so uh, in our election that's forthcoming in 2020. As you look at what they're doing now, did you have any idea? At that time, because I do know that you and your colleagues were later in 2016, if not already, and you may not even be able to engage on this. It may be classified. I don't know. But um, I guess a better question is, when did you learn of Russia's, the danger that Russia was posing with this new or this different, this other uh, type of uh, operation, the information operation that posed the, the, the major threat to the U.S. Uh, democracy and the election? You know, that's a, uh, a FAQ, a frequently asked question. When was the exact instant, the, the precise moment when you realized the magnitude of what the Russians were doing? And I, I guess my answer to that is that uh, that revelation didn't occur in one day. The Russians have a long history, going back to the Soviet era, if not before, of interfering in elections, theirs and other people's, notably in Europe. And there's a, and they have interfered in our, uh, tried to interfere in our election processes going back to the 50s or, and certainly the 60s. So they have records of that. Um, but never, ever uh, on a scale, the magnitude, the depth of aggressiveness that they did in 2016. And, you know, as time went on and we, understood more and more what they were doing, whether it was reconnoitering uh, 
uh, voter registration rolls in many states. Uh, obviously, the hacks, uh, their aggressive campaign and very slick and sophisticated on RT, which is the Russia Today network, which is a, a, you know, provide, it's funded by the, the Russian government and obviously its editorial content is guided by the Russian uh, uh, government. A lot more slick and sophisticated than the heyday of the Cold War. So it was, it was putting all the, and then of course we understood as time went on what the Russians were doing uh, in social media, which is the major difference. Is, is there a skillful and sophisticated exploitation of social media to sow doubt, discord, discontent in this country and, and capitalize on our polarization and divisiveness, which they did to a fairly well and will again I suspect they are doing it now and will into 2020 election. So as you look at what they're doing right now, how does it compare to what they were doing then? Has it, have you seen it evolve? Have you seen it become more sophisticated or by leaps and bounds, or is this more of a gradual thing? How much of a threat is it this time around, considering that we know that they are doing this? And uh, I think last well, here's- First of all, I don't have ac- the accesses uh, now that I obviously that I had then. But what concerns me is that um, they will have they have gone to school, I'm sure, on the revelations of what we learned in uh, about what the magnitude of their activities in, in 2016. When the intelligence community, when we did our intelligence community assessment. Of January of 17, I think we kind of, in many ways, only scratched the surface. That was kind of the tip of the iceberg. And I've often referred people to volume one, the first part of the Mueller investigation, which is documented in great uh, and very specific detail the nature of what the Russians did. And I'm all for that. Um, that's great. I, I'm, I'm I support the transparency that represents in, in, in educating the, the American people about what the Russians did and the threat that they pose. And it's another form of the existential threat. Uh, but I fear that because of those revelations that the Russians will have back engineered all those uh, revelations and will try to thwart our uh, detecting what they're doing. So I'm sure they're up, they're up to their usual tricks because they found it successful. I just think it's going to be harder to detect. So, sir, when you say back engineered, could you, uh, for those of us that are not as technically inclined as you and uh, some of the others uh, in the Intel world and, and certainly familiar with uh, this process, what do you mean when you say back engineered in this case? Well, when they go, I'm sure they went through, they've read volume one, and I, by, by they, I'm talking about their intelligence services, specifically the GRU, which is their military intelligence organization. And I'm sure they went through the Mueller report, volume one, and parsed out every single sentence, every single technical detail they could that was revealed in that. And they'll ask themselves, what what is it that we did that allowed them to figure out what we were doing. How did they gain that insight? And that, and they'll go back and try to backtrack it 
and 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 see how we determine that what they were doing and and mm -hmm. if they can they will figure out a way to mask or hide or or obscure what they were doing that, that's what i meant so looking at what they're doing right now and, and based on what you just said about what they most likely have done um and Looking at what we've gotten in the last couple of weeks are warnings from the National Counterintelligence and Security Center and from NSA and from uh, the British even have talked about what they have seen are attempts to uh, 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 manipulate um, uh, Americans and people around the world in, in, in some cases thinking about um, this election. And the process is here. So considering what they may have done, gone back and, and sort of tried to perfect their craft and, and, and what they were trying to do, do you get the sense that they may or do you think they may have some new weapons that we haven't seen? Because I've heard people say exactly what you're saying is that they're a nation of chess players and their intelligence community are part of that nation, and they approach it the same way. So are we looking at the possibility of Russia having some new weapons that we don't know about? Well, by new weapons, I, I, I think uh, uh, it would be new techniques, uh, new forms of tradecraft, but uh, in, in an effort to uh, hide uh, disinformation. Uh, this is particularly true on, on, uh, on social media, uh, where they will do what they can to obscure the actual source, sources of, of their postings on social media. You know, the Russians reached, I think Mueller said, 132 million Americans, some number like that, through Facebook alone. And they had messages for everyone, Black Lives Matter, white supremacists, pro-Nazi, anti-Nazi, pro-Muslim, anti-Muslim, pro-Jewish, anti-Jewish, didn't matter because all what they're bent on is exploiting the divisiveness and polarization in this country. And they'll continue to do that, but what they will do, what they will do in that process is try to obscure the ultimate source uh, of those postings and, and, that, and that disinformation. As we approach this election, we're 90-some days away from it again. Um, assess the threat from your perspective with, your, your, with, with all of your 50-plus years of intelligence. Uh, ass assess the threat that they pose to this election being essentially swayed right now. Well, well first of all, um, I, I think we're going to be confronted with uh, not only the Russians— but uh, others, having watched what the Russians did, will, I think, also be in play. And I, I refer specifically, uh, given the state of the relationship with, with China, that I think China will also be injecting itself into, into the election process, you know, capitalizing, learning from what the Russians did. And we may have the Iranians, uh, North Koreans, and who, who knows who all. So it's going to be even more complex and why it's so important that people uh, question, be skeptical about anything they see, read, or hear on, on the Internet, and particularly with respect to social media. 
people need to figure out ways to corroborate or validate uh, things that they uh, learn uh, or think they're learning uh, on the internet because that that is, that is being used that the internet's being weaponized by the Russians who are the masters at it and now others are going to uh, do the same thing then we have overlaid over you know just all this this concern is the pandemic and what the Russians will do to, to uh, sow disinformation there. Uh, so we have this added complexity uh, of the tragedy of the pandemic, and what, which the Russians will exploit. Uh, Director Clapper, that is an absolutely sanguine, great point, signal point, because there are so many others out there who've used the Russian, or most likely will use the Russian blueprint, to complicate things when it comes to disinformation, this election cycle, and they'll use everything they can, including coronavirus, et cetera. And, you know, I kind of want to ask you, do you get the sense, based on what we've seen from this administration, that this is under control, this concern? Well, no, I don't. Um, I mean, I think uh, a lot has been done certainly at the federal level by several uh, components, uh, notably the FBI, uh, NSA, Department of Homeland Security, and, and, and others. But I don't get the sense that there's an overall, uh, first overall leadership for this. Um, and uh, so, and that concerns me. I think, you know, I think too often we think about uh, election security from the standpoint of cybersecurity, you know, securing voter registration rolls or securing the means by which the apparatus which compiles counts and uh, votes and reports them, which is extremely important. But there's another form of security that I, I, I think I kind of think is, is neglected. And that's what I'll call intellectual or cognitive security. And that's what I was referring to by people uh, questioning. Uh, you know, I wish they would. There would be questioning of, of everything is to see, read, and hear. Particularly when we have uh, many people who revel in uh, conspiracies, and you know, the Russians certainly, as sophisticated uh, as they are in understanding our political landscape these days, will take advantage of that. So I don't, you know, what I, what I would like to see would be the, the bully pulpit that only the president of the United States occupies to enjoin people, to urge people uh, to be questioning of, of what they see written here on the Internet, and particularly with respect to social media. But he doesn't do that. Uh, and I think that's regrettable. Uh, you know, Rand Corporation has written a book, published a book, which I think is very cleverly, cleverly and aptly entitled Truth Decay, which is the uh, demise of respect for uh, facts, data, and objective analysis. And there's, you know, several manifestations of that. And that's what we have uh, in this country today is a bad case of truth decay. And this is not because of, of President Trump. This is a, a trend that has been going on in the country for about 20 years. Uh, so I, 
you know, I, I know a lot's been done. I'm sure it has been. Uh, but I, I worry about that other dimension, which I, I'd call cognitive, cognitive or intellectual security. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very interesting you mentioned that book, The Truth Decay by the Rand Corporation, because that was the source of the comment that I mentioned to you earlier um, regarding Russia being a nation of chess players. Christopher Paul was one of the people who participated in the authorship of that book. And we interviewed him for our series in 2016 called uh, 2017, The Anatomy of a Russian Attack. You were in that series as well. You may not remember, but I'll send it to you and you can um, re-familiarize yourself with it. But we used your comments from your hearing where you outlaid, laid out the uh, assessment of uh, what Russia was up to and what the intelligence community found. But it was said in that piece that uh, this was the era that Russia had hoped to introduce again and rain down on us, the inability to tell what's true and from what's false and just make it very complicated for us as a nation to figure out which way is up similar to what Russia has been exposed to in the Soviet Union to a larger degree for many years before all of this now. But I want to ask you this question that relates to all of that, and this is this piece about hybrid warfare. This is the thing that Russia's Gennady Gorazimov, I believe was his name, or something like that, introduced some years ago, which employs a whole host of different types of um, uh, different types of uh, tactics that are designed, you know, to be used as warfare against an an adversary. And one of them, of course, is the kinetic military type approach. But then there's the information, you know, and then, of course, disinformation, et cetera, information operations, et cetera. So as we look at what we're facing right now, is the U.S. figured this out yet? Have we embraced hybrid warfare, and where do you think we are in terms of dealing with hybrid warfare? Well, I think uh, I'm quite sure people in the, in the national security apparatus, most notably uh, uh, the intelligence community and, and particularly the Department of Defense, un- understand uh, what hybrid warfare is all, all about and have, and have contemplated it and also, I think, thought about uh, tactics, techniques, procedures, et cetera, for combating it. I'm not sure it's widely understood, though, or by the public, or the the public's very concerned about it. Uh, Particularly, you know, in in the face of all our our current uh, trials and tribulations with the pandemic and uh, our economic crisis and the racial strife in this country, and I don't think... uh, Hybrid warfare is something that is uh, very much on the minds of the general public. Should it be? Well, sure, it certainly should be, um, particularly with respect to how um, adversaries, notably Russia, could exploit these very crises that we're facing right uh, today. That, so, yeah, it would be. It would be better for a wider understanding, but I just don't think that's the case. I think uh, people are more concerned about things that affect their day-to-day lives, which is the pandemic and the resultant uh, economic downturn. And, and then now on top of that is uh, the 
racial strife we have in this country. Mm-hmm. But uh, to sort of wrap this up shortly, uh, let's just um, look at where we are now from an intelligence point of view, knowing what the threat is from Russia, from other nations, and knowing how you feel about us approaching and dealing with that threat or not. Um, a lot of people are looking at an ele- are looking at this election coming up and wondering, is this election going to happen and is it is is there going to be some type of interference that actually changes the way the outcome of the election uh and i'm wondering what your thoughts would be if or advice if you were uh uh, asked and i'm hopeful that people are are asking you what you think because you know a lot uh what your advice would be for the u.s intelligence community and certainly dhs and all of those involved in this process right now well i don't i don't think they need any advice from me i think the intelligence community is is going to be vigilant as it as it always has been about this um and hopefully will be free to report it certainly to policy making uh community to include policymaker number one and uh hopefully uh publicly uh if if the intelligence community is detecting activity by foreign players foreign nation states trying to influence the outcome of the election, that's something that should be known publicly. Um, and frankly, we didn't do as well as we should have in that respect uh, in, 20, in, in run up to the election in 2016. So that's, that's one piece of advice I, I would give that's sort of gratuitous and unnecessary is that if, if as these threats are uh, detected that they're made known to the American, to the American public. What have I not asked you about today that you think is important that we should discuss? Well, I, uh, you, you brought up the election. I do worry about um, its conduct, its security, and the outcome, and the except the extent to which the outcome is accepted. Hmm. Um, if uh, President Trump doesn't win. Uh, he's, you know, uh, indicated ambivalence about that, which is, uh, I think, dangerous and, and is, uh, you know, kind of laying the groundwork uh, as he did in 2016 for, uh, you know, accusations about the election being rigged if he doesn't win. Well, he did that in 2016, too. And that's, that, that really concerns me. And, and we could have people in the streets, depending on the outcome, for a different reason than we've had them lately. So I, that's something I, I do worry about. Yeah, I've heard that um, conversation as well from some other people. Um, is, there, is, is there a way to deal with that um, from your perspective right now? Is there a way to stop that? Well, I think if, uh, you know, not pro- projecting the outcome here, but um, if the election's not close one way or the other, uh, if, if it's, you know, a landslide, let's say, uh, in favor of uh, presumptive Democratic nominee, uh, Vice President Biden, well, that would, 
that would certainly mitigate. But if it's close, then uh, then we could have, I, I think, a very tense situation. And uh, I suppose as well, if the president himself were to win by a landslide, then that would uh, neutralize any concern about that coming up as well. Well, yeah. I mean, if you know, past pe- past behavior is uh, prologue, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, Director Clapper, it's always a pleasure to talk to you because you are one of the smartest guys I know. And um, you're very good at communicating that smarts in a very humble and uh, just a very palatable way. And I've always enjoyed talking to you about what you know. And I hope that I can can continue to do that. You're very gracious and uh, generous. So I appreciate that. All right, sir. Well, that's it. Thank you very much. Okay, JJ, thanks. Great to talk with you. Former Director of National Intelligence, Jim Clapper. I have to say, I love talking to that guy. He knows so much about so many things, and he's got great perspective on all of those things. You know, he doesn't just say, I know these things because I experienced them, because I've I've been around in the intelligence world for more than 50 years, but he says, this is how it's relevant now. So I enjoyed talking to him. Coming up, In our next episode, another guy that I enjoy talking to as well. Mark Polymeropoulos, recently retired member of the CIA's Senior Intelligence Service, decorated, intelligent, skilled, and he's going to talk to us about, and he's going to advance the storyline on what Russia is doing to interfere with the U.S. and President Trump. There is some kind of fascination he has. Now, a lot of people wonder if there's much more of that or not. We're going to know when once we kind of get a look into the SVR or the FSB files, you know, what do what do they have on President Trump? What is their view of him? And, you know, ultimately, we would get that from, you know, a, a penetration of Russian intelligence or, or perhaps a defector years later. But Polymeropoulos knows quite a bit about what Russia's about already, and he's going to share it coming up in our next episode. In the meantime, If you have any questions about our program or comments, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green. That's one word at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast, if you will, and please follow us on Twitter. We do some things there that are actually exclusive. You won't see them anywhere else and you won't hear them on this podcast, but they're related to this podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. Also, if you want more national security news, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. That's WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, this is Jack Vanek from the Lady Gang Podcast, and we have been busy creating even more opportunities for our fans to get to know us with our New York Times bestselling book, Act Like a Lady, and exclusive Lady Gang clothing line with Express. But it all started with the podcast, and we've had some awesome interviews lately like Tan France, Kyle Richards, and Lucy Hale. Literally slapped the shit out of me as I was <laughs> driving out to pull over. I was like, I'm driving. She, right before, was literally talking about the size of her husband's penis again and like i'll read scripts where it's like 25 years old with the baby but nobody can see me with the baby yeah maybe just have a baby <laughs> so, so be sure to check out the lady gang podcast on apple spotify and podcast one we can't wait to hang out with you now stay tuned for the latest headlines from the associated press